Amen. Um, this morning we rode in the foyer praying, and um, Myra said something about communion this morning. And as she started to talk, I got this picture that I want to share with you before we before I dig in here. The picture was I saw a cross section of earth. So I could see the surface, I could see below, I could see above. And below there were these seeds. And under the surface, those seeds all of a sudden sprouted. And then I saw grass. I thought it was grass. I saw grass growing above the surface really, really quickly. It just went poof and it was up. And, and then it was like it kept growing and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. I realized, oh, that's not grass, that's wheat. And it got full heads and it came and it ripened like almost like that. And I was like, wow, there's a real acceleration happening right now in the Holy Spirit. There's a real acceleration where we go from being seeds that were planted to fully fruitful. And I just want to release that in this, this place this morning. Holy Spirit, I release that level of fruitfulness in this place, Lord. I release the, the seeds to germinate. I speak to the seeds, Lord. I command them to germinate now in your Holy Spirit, Lord. I call forth the growth. It's springing up, Lord. Your word says it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Lord, let it come. Let it come right to fruition. Let it come right to a full head, Lord. And let that be seed for the feeding of the nations, Lord. The seed of your presence that becomes the bread of your presence. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had to get that one out of there. Okay. So, the last few months, we've been doing the book of Colossians. And... Um, I always enjoy the opportunity to dig deep into a passage of Scripture, and I think it's really fun to be able to take a whole book and dig deeply into it. And I just want to say, Denise, um, that since you were the person who did the bulk of the teaching, although there was other people here who did it, I just want to bless you for doing that. That was wonderful. Um, It was rich. It was so cool how you integrated people's stories into that. Um, I know you didn't get through as much some weeks as you wanted to, but you got through the right amount every time. So it was wonderful. What a blessing that was. Um, and I also want to bless everybody else who brought teachings during that time. That That is a real blessing to our body. We really receive from one another. So I want to kind of spring forward from the book of Colossians this morning. The book of Colossians was written when Paul was in prison. Gavin, can you just turn me down just a teeny bit? I feel like I'm trying not to talk too loud. And that's not going to go well part with you in my message probably. So so he was in prison. He was most likely in prison in Rome. And so he's writing this this letter to the church at Colossae. And the church at Colossae was actually having some problems because they were starting to believe false teachers. And... As I was thinking about that this week and preparing for this message, I realized the letter to the Colossians could be the letter to the church at Kitchener, and it could be the letter to the church in Ontario or Canada or the Western Hemisphere or a lot of places. Because I've noticed that in some, over some time, the Western church has been flooded with um, a lot of different doctrine, a lot of different teaching, um, some of it that doesn't line up with scripture. I mean, it really clearly doesn't. Some, you know, there's, there's latitude for things, but there's some that's just way out there. 
And, um, and as I was considering that, I realized that, you know, some of those weird doctrines or twisting of scriptures or whatever bizarre prophetic words that really don't line up don't need to supersede the truth, right? We don't get better at knowing what the truth is by studying lies. We get better at knowing what the truth is by studying the truth, right? That's how they say people who learn how to handle, uh, detect counterfeit money. How do they do it? They don't play with counterfeit money all day long. They touch the real thing. And that's how they know what's false, right? And that's my prayer for us this morning, that we touch the real thing so that we know what is true. So we know when we encounter the person of the truth, we know the truth that sets us free. And I actually release in this room right now a love of the truth that sets free. You know that there's a warning in scripture that says, you know, that people refuse to love the truth. And I just pray over us. We would never, ever be the people that refuse to love the truth, that we would always be lovers of the truth. And the truth has, truth has a T that's capitalized, by the way. He has a name, right? Yeah, Jesus. He is the truth. So what's true? One of the prophetic words I've heard re repeatedly for a long time now is get ready. Anybody in this room not heard that prophetic word, get ready? Okay, so you've all heard that. Anybody heard it like less than 50 times? Okay, so yeah, that's how I feel. Like it's constantly out there and it's not a new word. And we keep hearing it. Why do we keep hearing it? Because we don't understand it yet. Right, so that's why I want to dig into it this morning. What does it mean to get ready? According to what the Lord says. Back when we were teenagers, Mark and I dated. And um, those of you who know Mark know that he is extraordinarily punctual. Okay? He is the most punctual person I know. Um, in fact, he did not develop that trait recently. He had that trait probably, I'm going to guess from birth, but for sure, at least in his teen years and forward, that's just as long as I've known him. And um, to Mark, being punctual means he functions on Gerber time. I don't know if you know what Gerber time is, but Gerber time is always five to ten minutes early for everything. That is... <laughs> so... Mark is almost never late for anything, and if he is, I always kind of like, oh, is he okay? <laughs> so, um, and he had that trait. He ran on Gerber time when he was a teenager also. Now, for a teenage girl, that five to ten minute window before takeoff is when your hair will do the most wonky thing, or you will poke yourself in the eye with your mascara, or something else really bad, like you spill something on your shirt or something, that happens in that window. Everything else is good up until then, then every, the wheels fall right off. I did have big hair, just for the record, that was the 80s. And so what I realized after a couple of times of Mark coming to our home was that I needed to adjust my schedule if I wanted to be ready for him. So I tried to get ready way ahead of time. <laughs> Being late was not an option for me. I had to make adjustments. And I believe that that's how it is with the Lord in our lives, is that he, we need to adjust ourselves to him. He doesn't need to adjust to us. Now, the thing is that God is gracious, and he does make a lot of adjustments to accommodate us. But you know what? We miss out on something every single time. We miss out when we are asking him to accommodate us. Because what he has is way better. It's way higher it's way beyond what we have. So we need to adjust ourselves. 
Every Christmas for the last few years, I've been stuck on the same phrase. It's, it's from the carol, Joy to the World. So it's not even in the scriptures. Can I, can I use something that's not in the scriptures? Is that okay? It's it, Just this time? Okay. So it goes like this. It says, let every heart prepare him room. And I am like, wow. And I think that that phrase is one of the most poignant prophetic statements of our time. Let every heart prepare him room. So I want to look at Matthew 25. What does it mean for every heart to prepare him room? What does it mean to get ready for God? starting at verse 1 in Matthew 25. It says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. Excuse me. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both you, us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now this might sound strange, but as I looked at this passage this week, I noticed something I have never seen before. It says the foolish ones didn't take any oil. Now, I always thought, like, they both had full lamps, but the ones, some took extra jars of oil, and some didn't take extra jars of oil. But this one, it actually says, I checked six different translations. It says they didn't bring any. They didn't bring any oil. Hello? Like, why did you bother bringing your lamp if you didn't bring any oil? These girls were running on fumes, right? They were running on fumes. Have you ever been running on fumes? And it struck me that's so much like my life sometimes. There have been so many prophetic words in the last year especially, but... Even over the years about this pending economic doom. Anybody in this room heard words of pending economic doom? For 20 years now? Okay. And the thing is that it's predicting this massive economic collapse. And I'm astounded, quite frankly, at how people, especially God's people, have responded to those words. Because what I've seen is fear and hoarding and um, suspicion, and self-preservation, 
and conspiracy theories. Can I just speak to conspiracy theories for one second? Do you know what those are full of? Conspiracy, yes. <laughs> They're full of pride. I have to speak to those things. I cannot stand conspiracy. I can't even say it. Conspiracy theories. You know why? Because it says I know something that nobody else knows. And I just want to speak those things right out of the church. Lord, get rid of those things. But also, Lord, deal with us. Where we are fearful and hoarding and suspicious and self-protecting, which is the other thing that comes out of that. Right? And I want to say, I am 100% sure it is not a God reaction. 100. Do you know why? Because God's not hoarding, and he's not fearful, and he's not suspicious, and he's not self-protecting. So if he's not doing it, why are we? Really? People are convinced that they're being like Joseph, storing up food for a famine. That was one story in the Bible. There's other stories, like him providing manna for 40 years in the desert. Like him feeding Elijah by ravens, right? Like him feeding a widow for a whole famine off a little handful of, of uh, flour and a wee, wee little bit of oil, right? There's a lot more stories like that. There's stories about Jesus taking a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and feeding a whole whack of people with it. we got to believe that God is the provider, Right? He is the one who is looking after us, and it's not my job to be my provider. Because you know what? It'll either be you or him. So you can decide who you want it to be. Right? And I, I really want to recommend, highly, that God is very, very good at that. He has a long track record. He made the heavens and the earth out of nothing but his word. Nothing but his word. So he can look after you no problem. And in the middle of all that, I believe a lot of God's people are feeling like I'm getting ready, when in fact what they're getting is distracted. (laughs) There is this great story in the New Testament about how the early church responded to a prophecy about economic doom. Did you know there's one of those in there? Yeah, it's in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11. I'll read it to you. You can turn there if you want to. But I'm starting at verse 27. It says, Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit, so this was a true prophecy, that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to hit the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So do you see what they did? They gave. That's right. Instead of hoarding, they began giving. And they, what they were doing was they were taking their resources and putting them in the safest place they knew which is the hands of God. That's where you store up your resources, right? Treasure in heaven. And they knew that it was a powerful prophetic act of trusting God when they gave, when there was prophecy of lack, right? That's a powerful prophetic act. 
They knew it didn't depend on themselves. They knew it didn't depend on their own preparation. They knew the Lord would supply all of their need. <clears throat> they understood also that the one who sows generously reaps abundantly. Right? So what they were doing was they were stepping into that grace of God in faith. And they also knew that hoarding would cause them to trust in material things and not their gracious Father. He is so trustworthy. He is so good. You can trust him. I can trust him. Abba's children need to live in a way that displays our trust. We have to show the world that we trust Abba. Because otherwise we're acting like orphans and not children. And we are the children of God. That is what we are. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. So do you know what the Lord will do in your life? He'll put you in situations where you have to have faith. It's not to be mean. It's because he knows you want to do things that are pleasing. So he gives you a chance to do things that are pleasing. He lets you walk in faith because that pleases him. He is the best father. And all he asks is that we believe him and trust him and obey him. And I believe that readiness, getting ready, has very little to do with storing up anything and has everything to do with getting rid of things and making space in our lives. Letting every heart prepare him room. I believe it's still a powerful prophetic call. Because our lives, especially in Western culture, are very full. They're very, very full. We have full schedules. We have full refrigerators. We have full closets and drawers. You know, we have full agendas. But we mistake full and fulfilling. We get those two mixed up so often. It seems like we keep a lot of extras of everything just in case. Do you know you don't need just in case? Do you know your father will provide for you? John the Baptist said, if you've got two coats, give one away. Why? Because you don't need a backup. God is our backup. Lots of times people pray to hit the financial jackpot so we can trust in a full bank account rather than a trusting, loving God. Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had and give to the poor and follow him. Is that a specific command to every believer? I don't think necessarily it is, but I believe that the underlying principle is. And that is, Whatever you trust in ahead of me, get rid of it. We cannot, we cannot put anything else in front of God. Do you know why? Because it's called idolatry. When you trust in something else other than God, that's idolatry. Right? He wants us to trust him. And it, we can sometimes trust in a big bank account, or we might be trusting in two extra cans of soup on our shelf. 
It doesn't matter what it is. If we trust it more than him, that's an idol. Even trusting in our own logic and our own ability to interpret prophetic words and stuff, that's an idol too, you know. If ever we needed to remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, I would say it's right now. So let's look at Matthew 6. I'm going to start at verse 25, so I'll give you a second there. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you know that hoarding is just using stuff to assuage our worries? That's all it is. It's just using stuff to assuage our worries. If I've got extra of everything, I don't have to worry. And we can get bogged down by more than stuff. We can fill our schedule so full we have no time or energy left for serving the Lord and his people. We can also carry around emotional baggage that needs to go. And that's easy to release through confession and forgiveness. Our lives need to be decluttered at times, and it's going to look different for different people. For me, I find it pretty easy to get rid of material things. That's not that big of a deal usually. However, for me, getting rid of responsibilities is a lot harder because duty has a very, very strong pull on my life. Grudges don't hang around for me for that long, but it's easy for me to have imaginary conversations. Oh, I heard noises. I think other people might too. (laughs) You know where you kind of rehearse what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, and when they say this, you're going to say that, and then you're going to say that back again. And you know, I do that to make sure I don't mess up mess up on the spot. Yeah, like that works. All of those things are clutter in our lives. And I feel really strongly the Lord is saying, if you want to get ready, you need to declutter. Whatever is stealing from him, whatever is stealing trust, 
whatever is stealing energy or time or resources, those things have got to go if they're ahead of the Lord. Jesus taught us how to deal with priorities. He said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else is going to follow after that. Seeking the kingdom means seeking the king. You can't seek a kingdom without seeking a king. And secondly, it means seeking the qualities of that kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it says that the kingdom of God is. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness in Bible times had a different flavor than what it does today. Righteousness back in those days had to do with right relationships. Today, righteousness in a lot of the church means having correct doctrine. Okay, Do you see where there's a difference? Right? Right relationship versus correct doctrine. That's not the same thing. So when we're seeking righteousness, we're seeking having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. Kind of like, doesn't that sort of ring a bell? It's sort of like love God first and then... Love everyone else as you love yourself. That kind of ring a bell, right? It has to do with right relationship. That's the foundation of righteousness. A couple weeks ago, Gordon Douglas shared a word with us that he felt the Lord gave for our body. I was kind of at the time a little bit taken aback that he was giving a word that was just for me to the whole entire body. (laughs) It wasn't just for me. I know that. But the word, as soon as he said it, I knew it was a right-on word. He said push, right? And I was like, oh, great. (laughs) Positioning, unity, sowing, and harvesting. Position, unity, sowing, and harvesting. And then he said, do you need a push? And I was like, yeah, I do. And it's not because I'm on a swing, right? I need a push out there to move into what God has. Some of us need a little push. I'm not talking like shove you off the cliff or something. I'm talking like just come on, come on, right? Come on, little birdie out of the nest, right? That kind of a little encouragement to step into fullness of what God has for us. For me, the answer is yes, I need a push. So what's the answer for you? Do you need a push? We can trust God with this push, you know. We can trust him with that. What does that look like for you? Is there physical clutter you got to get rid of? Is there schedule clutter you got to get rid of? Is there emotional clutter you got to get rid of? And ask yourself honestly, why am I keeping all of this? Is it just in case I need it one day? 
So he's calling us to be ready to respond to his word. There needs to be room in our hearts for him because if there's not, we will end up like the innkeeper of Bethlehem who was making space for all kinds of, I'm sure, really nice people but turned away the king of the universe when he showed up. Good is sometimes the biggest enemy of best, you know. I feel like the Lord is saying to us the same thing he said when he called Isaiah in Isaiah 6. He said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Here am I, send me. Here am I. In the Hebrew, that phrase, here am I, is hineni. And all, like so many times in my life, I've, since I've heard that, I've just like, hineni, Lord, hineni. Like, I want to be here. I want to be available to you. But I know sometimes he's saying, okay, then you've got to engage with me. And you need to get rid of some of this stuff too so that there's room in the inn. So are you in a place where you can say, Hineni, Lord, I am here, send me. Is there enough space in your life or your home or your schedule or your heart or your thought life? Is there enough room for the King of Kings to take up residence there? I mean, he already is in us, but he wants to consume us. He wants to be all in us, all. Holy Spirit, I release your presence into every heart that wants it right now, Lord over every mind, over every thought, over the souls of every person in this place. Lord, I pray that by your blood you come and wash away all of the stuff, all of the history we have, all the record-keeping we have, all of the reasons that we have, just sanctify, Lord, and wash us clean. I pray that every soul in this room would prosper, Lord. Every soul would be full of you and be delighted in you and would trust in you, Lord. Speak to the Spirit of God. It resides in the spirit of each person here, Lord. Come forward. Come forward, Holy Spirit. I speak to the bodies of every person in this room, Lord, where there's any healing needed. By your stripes, we are healed. (coughs) 
call forth the infilling of the Holy Spirit for every person who wants you, Lord, every person who desires you. I call forth the infilling power of the Holy Spirit in this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Hey! Bless the Lord, every soul. Let all that is in us bless your holy name.